Hello and welcome to the i3 podcast. My name is Wouter Klein and I'm the Director of Content for the Investment Innovation Institute. For more information about our educational forums for institutional investors, please visit our website at www.i3-invest.com. There you can also subscribe to our complimentary newsletter, i3 Insights in which we discuss investment strategy and asset allocation questions with asset owners around the world. Now, as you all know, we love our disclaimers in this industry, so here's ours. This recording is for educational purposes only. It does not constitute financial advice. Please enjoy the show. This podcast was sponsored by PGIM. As such, the sponsor may suggest topics for discussion, but the final control over the podcast remains with the Investment Innovation Institute. Welcome to the i3 podcast. I'm here today with Jacob Wilhelmus, who is Director of Thematic Research at PGIM. Jacob, welcome to the show. Thank you, Walter. It's great to be here. So today we're going to talk about food security and the investment opportunities related to this theme. And Jacob, you're one of the authors of a report on this, uh, which is titled Food for Thought, Investment Opportunities Across the Changing Food System. So can you tell me a little bit about the background to the report? Um, Why did you look into it now? So with regards to the reason, um, there are a few parts of our life that are more complex and essential than the global food system. But what is often overlooked is really that the current system is increasingly unfit for purpose, which is going to lead to a variety of challenges over the next years. And the goal of our new report is really to highlight the forces that are reshaping both supply and demand across the global food system and how investors can prepare for this transformation. From a timing perspective, the events around the war in Ukraine and the current food price inflation have, of course, increased investors' awareness around the macroeconomic and national security implications around food. But again, we argue that not enough attention is being paid to the overall linkages and impact that the changing food system will have on economies and markets. So you mentioned the link with the economy. um, And in the report, it sort of uh, goes into this uh, uh, linkage where it's not always as often uh, that people think about this, how it interacts with the economy, how it interacts with inflation. Can you tell me a little bit about uh, these linkages between food supply and the broader economy? Absolutely. And you just mentioned inflation. And right now, of course, food price inflation is top of mind for everyone. But the impact of food inflation differs uh, widely on the percentage consumers are spending on food. Um, And to put it more drastic, in Europe or Australia, food inflation is an issue for consumers and can have monetary policy implications. But it will not lead to outright revolutions as it did, for example, during the Arab Spring, which in large parts was driven by an increase in bread prices. And so for investors, this has far reaching implications, for example, on how to assess country risk profiles. Another aspect that is often overlooked because the food system is so complex 
is the sheer number of people whose income is in one way or another dependent on the many industries that are part of the food value chain. And the number that really puts it into perspective is 40%, which is the share of the world total population that is employed somewhere in the global food system. And so given that 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 big, big number and big share of the labor force, uh, the importance of the food sector translate into a tremendous political influence, which you can see everywhere from China to India or France, where this power really manifests itself in electoral outcomes, vast subsidies, all the way to regulatory changes and trade barriers. So important linkage with geopolitics, with the economy. But there's also a link with with climate change. This will have a dramatic impact on on the food supply globally. What what, what do you right. see as some of the most important effects there? So when it comes to to climate or climate change, it's it's obvious, but it's good to remember that at the end of the day, the global climate, which really means uh, soil temperature and water, are the key inputs to our food system and to agricultural production, and so any small change to one of these um, inputs has far-reaching and dramatic results on our food production and the output potential. Yep. So if, for example, if you take temperature out of those three, even, even a small change in temperature leads to a reduction in feed intake, and that results in the re reduction in dairy, for example, but it goes to the extreme where fish and other seafood, they don't really have um, capacity to regulate their body temperature and survive in warmer water. And so some studies have found that fishery production has already declined by 15 to 35%. And all of these effects are not limited, they're not limited to animals. Um, crops are equally impacted by increasing temperature, but they're also particularly vulnerable to extreme weather events, um, for example, droughts or floods. And we've seen all, we've all seen the headlines and the news about droughts and floods and how they've decreased, for example, um, crop yields in Spain this, this summer. And as these extreme weather events will continue to increase in frequency, and in combination with the overall temperature increase, some estimates put the overall loss at around 12 to 15% of current crop yields. So that's a tremendous reduction in the capacity to produce food going forward. So there's a lot of drivers that will impact the supply of food. And then the war in Ukraine has also highlighted the importance of food security. But let's go from this broader level to more um, the investment angle to this. Mm -hmm. I think in the report, you list six investment themes relating to food production and security. Now, I thought maybe it's interesting to look at two of these a little bit more closely. And the ones that piqued my interest were agricultural technologies mm -hmm. and cultivated meats. Uh, maybe starting with the first one, um, agricultural technology or ag tech, as it is referred to. Um, it's driving efficiencies and more sustainable ways of food production. So can you give me a bit of an example to bring this back to an investment environment? What are some of the more interesting companies in this space? Uh, absolutely happy happy to. And I, I'll start with, uh, with the companies first. So a big theme within AgTech or agricultural technology that we cover are irrigation systems. And so both 
Coda Farm Technologies in the US and Saturas in Israel are great examples for what investors should look for in companies operating in that space. And to provide a little bit more context about the technology, so a big challenge around precision or irrigation system systems is that um, on farms, particularly smaller farms, they're not sophisticated enough and provide farmers very little insight. Think, for example, about um, heat stress on a field, which might be different in one part than, than the rest of the field, or defects in the system that cause parts of the crop to receive less water than you anticipated or you designed. And so the solution that these innovative startups and the irrigation systems that they have developed are tackling is managing the use of water and its application by combining sensors with software applications and machine learning to provide farms farmers really with the right insights into their systems and tackling issues in real time. And so given the growing need of increasing production and managing scarce resources such as water, we see a lot of opportunity for investors around irrigation systems in particular, but ag tech in general. These days, we hear a lot about artificial intelligence as well. Is that something that comes into this space as well? Can we sort of expect robot farmers in the future? A absolutely. And that's, that's, that's another aspect um, of, um, of, of the report, which is really sort of... And so the examples I just gave are more geared towards the smaller farms. But if you go into onto the bigger farms, a lot of the automation and the innovation is around um, artificial intelligence and sort of robots or autonomous vehicles. For example, the example that I like is um, having trucks that are not only able to go up and down the field without much human interaction, but these machines are also able to identify and dif differentiate between crops and weeds. And then in the latter case, they can apply a small amount of pesticides that allows farmers to reduce their pesticide usage overall to up to 60%. And so what we have done is sort of separated between what you can do on the larger farms because it is more capital intensive and what are solutions on smaller farms. Yeah. Now, the other um, theme that you listed was cultivated meats. And when you sort of look at this topic, it looks like a great response to food scarcity. Um, it addresses a lot of the problems associated with the production of food, including uh, methane emissions and transport-related carbon emissions. But there are also some challenges with it. And I think in the report you wrote that the cultivated meat industry is, a, is at an awkward stage of its life. Why is that so? So in, in big parts, it is the realization that having a good narrative is not enough when it comes to food innovation. And yes, cultivated meat is an innovation that could, as you just outlined, be a perfect solution in the future. But right now, it's not an attractive investment, and it has two considerable concerns. So first, um, the technology is still at a very early stage, and there are big questions around its economies of scale, its energy use, and being able to offer a better product. And really what we mean by a better product 
is um, particularly when it comes to meat. At the end, you have to compete on price, taste, and texture. And the second point is really that the recent developments around plant-based meat are a cautionary tale for every investor that is considering cultivated meat. And, and that is in the sense that even so even if you are able to solve the economies of scale and the issues around price, taste, and texture um, much faster than almost anyone is expecting right now, it does not guarantee adaptation by consumers who've be to go, be convinced in the end that they should should move away from the original product and that is particularly true given the fact that most of the growing demand going forward um, when it comes to meat or alternative meats is coming from emerging markets where swaying consumers that can finally afford meat uh, seems rather futile in short, there's very little incentives uh, for an institutional investor to pick a particular company in the space right now, given all of those um, concerns. You mentioned taste is one of the things that you look at. Um, how do you go about that? Because that can be quite subjective, I presume. And I sort of think back of, you know, very long ago in my student days, we used to have this product in Europe called corn. And it was basically sort of a, a, a chicken textured mm -hmm. mushroom product or they called it mushroom but it was basically a fungus and it didn't taste like anything but one thing that it was really good at was absorbing flavor so if you made curries or something like that you can add a lot of flavor to it how, how do you objectively look at things like that um i mean mo most of it you can't really look at it objective objectively right because it is that it comes at the end the consumers um as an entity they make that decision for you by either buying um or not buying the product but you are right that it's um th there there are levels to it right it's so it's really really hard to get a steak right to get like a new york steak perfect get the texture get the taste to the point where consumers says this tastes to me the same as the one from an actual cow. Um, it's cheaper. I, I go with it. Um, but if you go to lower sort of lower proteins or proteins that are used in the production of other products, then it is, it is easier to match the taste and the texture that you are looking for. So really what we, we argue is that right now it's, it's all pretty much in the future, but it will go in stages where first you will be able to hit the, the simple proteins, let's say whey, whey protein, then you sort of get to ground beef until you sort of like make it all the way um, to being able to replace any meat with cultivated, cultivated meat. So cultivated meat and agricultural technologies, they both have sort of a linkage to innovation. Um, can you tell me a little bit about the role of innovation in the whole um, challenge of food supply and food security? I think the report speaks of some of new technologies as well, including precision agriculture. Um, what are some of the challenges and what is the role of innovation in this space? So technology and innovation are absolutely critical um, if we want to guarantee food security and meet global food demand which by some estimates is set to increase 
percent by 2050. And so to meet that goal, we really need new ways to increase our production. Um, and one way to do that is really using inputs more precise or more efficient, where sort of like that's where the term precision agriculture comes from. And there are many examples around precision agriculture. And I've already talked about one earlier that I really like, which is around autonomous vehicles, right? So like being able to have tractors or other machinery that is really capable of harvesting crops or being able to, as I said, go down the field and identify where are the weeds um, without really needing much human input. That That is a big factor of sort of being able to find ways to be more productive and meeting meeting the needs that, that we will have going forward. And yeah. One interesting opportunity that is mentioned in the report as well is the institutional ownership of farmland, uh, which is a growing area. Now, what sort of makes this attractive and, and how do you uh, place it in a portfolio? Because I could imagine it attracts quite a bit of a different skill than, say, an equity investment in a company. Right. Um, so, re, right. So an investor is always looking for diversification and an inflation hedge. And um, that is really what farmland has going for itself. Right. So farmland over the past decades has been negatively correlated with both bonds and equity. So it adds that diversification to your portfolio that you are looking for. And then in addition, food and other commodities are components of inflation measurements. And so as their prices rise, so does the revenue and cash flow from the farmland that is producing them. And so that's where you get the the inflation hedge and the store of wealth, wealth characteristic um, that is so attractive or makes farmland so attractive and is a big driver of that growth that you that we've seen in institutional investors' allocation to farmland. Does the value of farmland change with sort of the crops that are grow on it? Absolutely, right. And so the 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 crops are mostly that all of crops, most of commodities go through cycles. And from a technology perspective, it takes you back to precision agriculture and ag tech, where sort of really by increasing increasing productivity, you increase the the value of the land, and so they go hand hand in hand, right? So, like if you find more productive ways um, of producing food, then that that makes your land uh, more valuable. Let's let's dive a little bit into sort of the ESG challenges that come with investing in in food related themes, because there's just a few we, we've sort of mentioned the transportation costs and uh, carbon emissions with that but at the same time there's also you know just the very production of food itself um, the heavy use of fertilizers uh, is causing some challenges how, how do you approach ESG in this space when it comes to to the food system and ESG investing it it's really important to realize um, that there are no perfect solutions. In fact, one big take from our report is that the food system today is very similar to the energy sector about a decade ago, right? It produces an essential good with terrible externalities. And so what that means for ESG-minded investors is to engage with all sectors within the food system, irrespective of 
the negative externalities that might come with them and to understand the issues at hand and find innovative ways to mitigate the externalities that uh, come with them. For example, the need of applying fertilizers. So rather than putting all your hope um, into a very uncertain but seemingly perfect solution such as cultivated meat, it's really about engaging with each and every sector in the food value chain and finding improvements and mitigations that can get us closer to that perfect solution uh, today. Yeah. And I think another example is uh, food packaging. I think in the report, you sort of make the case that this can be an interesting theme to play. Maybe you can delve a little bit into both the opportunity side of, of the packaging and also some mm -hmm. of the challenges that are caused by, you know, the use of plastic uh, and, and the problem of uh, plastic pollution. Yes. Um so in, in short, food packaging is a way of taking advantage of the growing market for preferred, prepared foods without depending on any particular product. But let me break it out into two points around the investment theme and the ESG part. First, what really makes packaging so attractive is that it is driven by two major demand forces, the global convergence of diets and a desire for convenience. Changing consumer preferences, such as ready-to-eat products, for example, that more and more um, people people consume, have led to an increase in packaging that is also always in need of evolution and innovations as packages are becoming more convenient. For example, resealable pouches or more sustainable packaging that um, reduces the amount of plastics needed. Um, that is something that is happening on a global scale as diets across countries are converging and becoming more dependent on imports and global supply chains. The second part around ESG is a great illustration of what we just talked about. Um, there's unfortunately no perfect solution and there are clearly issues around excessive or unnecessary packaging. I mean, we are all uh, well aware of it given the imagery of animals caught in plastics. But there are also occasions where plastic has many benefits and it's, it is the ideal and often only material that can provide the necessary characteristics. And so in the end, that leaves ESG-minded investors um, with the necessity to engage with the packaging sector and its companies to really understand um, understand mitigation strategies that are feasible and working on improving their sustainability metrics overall. Are there any sort of innovations being made in, in this area, in the packaging industry, where we've seen, for instance, the rise of, you know, more bamboo usage? Um, is, is there any sort of new materials on the horizon? There are, and that, that is another trend that we've seen across the food system, that most companies investors and consumers are aware of the of the negative impact that the overall food system has has on the climate and it's just sort of we are not we are not there yet right so we are not we're not able to replace animal meat with cultivated meat we're not able to replace plastics with a new um material that has all of the same characteristics but does not come with the negative externalities and so it's really for investors, it is about engaging and sort of like finding that incremental improvement until we get to that solution that might allow us to cut back on the 30% greenhouse gas emissions that come from the from agriculture alone. 
but it is it is a longer way and that's sort of why we like to make that comparison to the to the energy sector yeah yeah so we talked a bit about you know problems relating around pollution um and emissions but there's one big statistic as well that is sort of from an esg perspective quite interesting is the fact that you know 40 percent of food that is produced is being wasted which seems a large number i mean i'm sure you can't avoid all of it but it seems like there's some room for improvement there are there any interesting companies that are trying to tackle this particular uh, problem you're right, right? The, the numbers around food loss and waste are, are mind-boggling. Um, but there's 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 one key difference um, between advanced economies and emerging economies when it comes to that um, to that big forty percent number. And that's really where investors can find opportunity because in advanced economies, that number, that forty percent is mostly food wasted, uh, which means, that happens at the retail or consumer level or bluntly put it's us buying more than we need whereas in emerging markets most food is lost which in turn means that it goes bad before it even reaches the retail or retail market or, or households and so a big part of that food loss in emerging markets is due to an inconsistent cold chain as there's a lack of cold storage as well as transportation in many of these countries. So we're sort of back to it that rather than trying to focus on changing consumer preferences, which is really, really hard, um, and there are also very few investment opportunities, the best opportunity to tackle food waste and loss is by investing in companies that are active in the code logistics sector, particularly in emerging markets. So for example, Nichiren in Asia or Frialza in Latin America, um, because that way investors cannot only take advantage of the major trend that is the convergence of diets across the globe, but they can have a direct impact on the reduction of food loss in these uh, countries as well. Yeah. You make the distinction there between, you know, the different drivers of food wastage between emerging markets and developed markets. If you look at sort of the, the food supply and food security theme overall, is this, you know, something that plays out more in emerging markets than developed markets or, or is it just a, a global thematic? It is a global issue. So it is an issue for all countries, but it, it, of course, it hits different in countries that have um, one a very high dependence on food imports and then also a large part of the population where consumer spending a lot of it is allocated to food right so for those countries of course um, issues tensions and disruptions in the global food supply chain um come back much, much quicker and have a larger impact than they do, for example, in Germany or in the US or in Australia, just because they, they have a bigger local market um, and they are less dependent on, on these food imports. And it's also not felt as rapidly in their population. So if we take sort of a step back and we look at the way investors and asset owners are dealing with this thematic, 
Do you see that this is applied across portfolios or does this tend to be more addressed in socially responsible investment options? It is, it is across portfolios, right? So um, there is, of course, there, there's a big part of it or a big opportunity for sustainability-minded or ESG-minded investors because of the big impact that the food system, the global food system has on the planet. Um, but it's such a big part of our economies and of markets that it's really essential for any investor to to allocate some part of their portfolio to the to the to the food system, particularly as we are currently at sort of an inflection point um, of transforming and meeting the challenges that we will have over the next next decade. Yeah. Well, Jacob, thank you very much for your time. It was a great discussion. Thank you, Walter. It was a pleasure to be here. Thank you for listening to the i3 podcast. For more information, please visit www.i3-invest.com. Thank you very much.